chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> and this is after the great sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And uh, they did not give an invitation. Peter just quit preaching. And the Holy Spirit moved on some people. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? So there's your, there's your invitation. It's not an invitation. It's the Lord working. Anyway, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. You see what preempted baptism? They that gladly received his word. Well, you know that couldn't include kids. Infants. So there never was infant baptism Amen. until the Roman Catholic Church started their heresy. Anyway, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now you can't add to something that doesn't exist. So what was existing? It was the church that Jesus built. Amen. When we started out on this whole situation in Acts 1, there were 11 members of that church. And the reason there were 11 is because Judas had already gone and hanged himself. So the first Baptist church of Jerusalem that Jesus started during his public ministry, it had exactly 11 Members. Then during the 10 day interim that the Lord told them to tarry at Jerusalem, don't go out, wait here. And when the Holy Spirit came on them, Jesus immersed the church in the Holy Spirit. By that time in those 10 days, they had picked up at least 109 members. Because they said at that time, now there's about 120 names there. Well, they had their names. It was a roll. Very important stuff. This is very, very important stuff. If you want to know how, how, the, how the churches should be operating, this is how you tell. Not from the Council of Trent, not from the Southern Baptist convention but from the Bible so the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls well now you see that word soul used like that that simply just means a human life about 3,000 people now boy you talk about an influx now, all these preachers, they want something like that to happen to them. But I tell you what, they can't handle it. This barely got handled for a little while, and then it didn't last. Anyway, and they continued. 
which is not what happens in most of these great evangelistic enterprises. Years ago, I think it was about 1973, they had a big, big push. All the various churches had. Key 73. Does anybody remember that? Well, I remember it. Key 73. All the denominations. And they had a Billy Graham crusade. Although this wasn't big enough for Billy Graham to come to. He sent one of his minions, I forget what the guy's name was, to preach it. But they were going to have it at the old Memorial Coliseum, the old basketball arena out there on uh, Avenue of Champions. I think it's where the women play now, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway. So, for the whole year, all of these, and I'm talking about all the different denominations. They had meetings, monthly meetings, and got instructions. Found out just how to operate all this stuff. And so when they had the campaign, you had to have a ticket to get in. And you might guess that the people from the churches are the ones that got the tickets. I don't know how, I, I don't know, I never did see a ticket because I never was involved in it. I knew what it was to start with. I didn't have nothing to do with it. Anyway, so they had their meeting, I don't know how many nights it was, and a big blowout. Talk about all the people they had coming down front. But nobody has said it about this. They had representatives from all the different denominations there. They had Catholic priests down front. Episcopalian, Lutheran, ever, ever cut in hue. I wouldn't doubt they had some Muslims down there. But they had all of these people. And when, when these people would come down, They'd say, where would you like to go? And then they would send you to the right one. If you want to do the Catholic, go to the Catholic. Now, they, everybody liked that. All of those people liked that. <coughs> but that's your Billy Graham stuff. Did more damage than it did good. A lot of people, oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I do know. That's just trouble. I do know what I'm talking about. Anyway, do you know that in six months after all of that big push, somewhere I've got some information on that key 73 in my files. I mean, it went on for over a year. They went back and interviewed people. I guess the people that had come down the aisle at their so-called invitation. They couldn't find one person 
that wasn't already a member of one of those kinds of churches that ever showed back up at a church. Not one. Now, if they were already a member of a church and all that, then that's probably, yeah. But not, so they talk about all the great work done. Look what happened here. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That means money involved. Coin. You know where the word coin comes from? The word that's behind fellowship in the Greek. Koinonia. Give me some coins, man. That's where the word comes from. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They were all there in that church. Wasn't a, they didn't have a building, but they were there in that assembly. Sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as in italics, to all as every man had need. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. They did that on their own. And even that did not work. And they, look here again, the word again, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, to the church daily, such as should be saved. I don't think he added all those people at once. But such as should be saved added, were added to the church. The church did not start on Pentecost. The church is already fully functional on the day of Pentecost. All right, now, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now that word means teaching. Doctrine is teaching. How do you preach the Bible? To, how do you teach the Bible without teaching doctrine? Teaching, teaching. You got to teach what the Bible teaches. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. All right? Now, there's such a thing as called the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Most of you should have heard of that by now. Many Catholic, all Catholic, most Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, even Baptist now, they even recite the Apostles' Doctrine. That is not the same thing as the Apostles' Doctrine. It's the, they call it the Apostles' Creed. Now, I'm going to read that to you just a minute. 
See if you can pick up on anything. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So far, we're okay. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we're still all right, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Now we're not all right, are we? On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're all right so far. The Holy Catholic Church? No. The communion of saints? The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now this is the Apostles' Creed. Well, nobody knows where it really came from. You look up, I've researched it to a point. I haven't killed myself on it, but I've done a little research into this. They don't know what century it came from. Then you get one said, well, this, we find this in the writings of uh, Ignatius or Irenaeus or something. There's nothing like that there. There's no, no mention of an Apostles' Creed. Now, you may find this, the Apostles' Doctrine, or what did Jude say? The faith. Once delivered into the, you can find those references, but you can't find references to the Apostles' Creed. This is something way late. Matter of fact, it's something I believe has to be after uh, 590, the 6th century, the 7th century. It's got to be in there somewhere because it's got rank. Do y'all admit it's got rank heresy in it? All right. Now I've got a, an article, and this is from Albert Moeller. He's a president of the Southern Baptist Cemetery, a seminary in Louisville. I can't ever get that straight, but anyway. I got the right one out. I got it, finally. <laughs> anyway, he wrote a book. I don't know, oh, 2019. This is from March 26th of 2019. That's, that's five, almost five years ago now, isn't it? He says, below is an excerpt from my new book, The Apostles' Creed, Discovering Authentic Christianity in an Age of Counterfeits. You'll be doing a book signing on the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary Campus on March. So he says, this began as an assignment. It ended as a milestone in my Christian life. My church history professor assigned the class to memorize the Apostles' Creed. I reckon that professor loved this Apostles' Creed. 
obediently, I began to memorize this historic affirmation of the Christian faith. Word by word, phrase by phrase, truth by truth. Within a few hours, I had committed the Apostles' Creed to memory, ready when called upon in class to recite it. But even at that time, I knew that something else had happened. He's had an, what do you call that, an epiphany? He said, as a young man, I realized that this ancient confession of faith is Christianity. This is what Christians believe, dash, what all Christians believe. I don't believe this. Y'all believe it? We don't believe this. The Apostles' Creed collapses time and space, uniting all true believers in the one holy and apostolic faith. This creed is a summary of what the Bible teaches, a narrative of God's redemptive love and a concise statement of basic Christianity. All Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed, but none can believe less. Well, we believe less. Ancient Christians honored this creed. Martyrs recited this creed. The Protestant reformers continued the use of the Apostles' Creed in worship and the teaching of believers. There's such power in knowing that when we confess the Apostles' Creed alone or in corporate worship, we are declaring the truth of the Christian faith with the very words that gave early Christians hope, uh, sent martyrs confidently to their deaths, and have instructed Christ's church throughout the centuries. I'm not going to read the rest of it. He said the Apostles' Creed was not written by the apostles. That's true. But it does reflect the early church's effort to express and summarize the faith given by Christ to the apostles. Early Christians called the root of the creed the rule of faith. Oh, I believe they had a rule of faith, but I don't believe they called this the rule of faith, and turned to it as they worshiped and taught the faithful. He doesn't have any evidence of that at all. None of that at all. So, And they all praised him over that book. The Herser Yorks and all of them praised him over that book. <coughs> yeah, I don't. I say the Apostles' Creed has got so much heresy sandwiched right in. There's some few good statements in there. But I don't have to have that. I got the scriptures. This thing is even way beyond the so-called Nicene Creed that we know that went from the 4th century. Anyway, it says Jesus descended into hell. Well, look at John 19. John chapter 19. Verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, of course, you know, this is on the cross. Yeah. He said, 
it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now that word finished is teleo. Brought to completion. Finished in the most extreme sense of the word. Finished. <coughs> now. Uh, let me see which one I want to go to next. Uh, he descended into hell. That's what they say. The Apostles' Creed says. He descended, that means go down, into hell. Well, if you were to check the travels of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Now, that's what those offerings do for us. They teach us physically, practically, what Jesus Christ accomplished for us with his life, death, burial, resurrection. And so Jesus, who is our great high priest, certainly the high priest is typical of our great high priest. So, and the day of atonement, that is certainly typical of the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, the high priest, he took their two goats. That's Leviticus 16. He took two goats. One of them is the Lord's goat. The other one is the scapegoat. The Lord's goat. Now it takes, it takes both of them to show us the one offering of Jesus Christ. But it's also showing us a whole lot more than that. Because Jesus is not only the offering, he's the offerer. Amen. He's all of it. That's why you had to have a bunch of them just for the one man, for the one offering. Anyway, he took the Lord's goat, and it is it's bloody. It is just horrible. To, he cut the goat's throat. He had a basin. And he caught that blood. He let him bleed out in that. And then as he sprinkled the blood on everything, he went into the Holy of Holies. And there he put the blood on the mercy seat. But before he did all that, he took the scapegoat. And there's that little goat. And he put his hands on the head. And the word for that, he leaned on the head of the scapegoat. And what he was doing in a picture, symbolically, he is transferring 
all of the sins of God's elect nation onto the head of that scapegoat. Every one of them. Now, I can't tell you what it all involved. Neither can any of these smart aleck preachers. They can't tell you everything was involved in that. But we know according to the word of God that every, every sin, past, present, and future of the elect nation of Israel went on the head of that scapegoat and you can absolutely determine that every sin, past, present, and future of all of the elect of God from Adam on went on the head of Jesus Christ. When the Bible says he had made him to be sin for us and he knew no sin. You think that scapegoat was wicked? That scapegoat wasn't wicked. Matter of fact, physically he was perfect. That scapegoat hadn't done anything to anybody. And neither had the Son of Man. Neither had Jesus Christ. But it pleased God to put him to death. To put him to an open shame. And now that the high priest has transferred all those sins to that scapegoat. Now a fit man. And I'm not sure who that was. But it had to be the man that was fit. He took that scapegoat and led, he had a rope on him, and led that scapegoat out away from the camp of Israel. Where'd he go? I don't know. To a land not inhabited. There wasn't anybody out there. Now you talk about John was banished on the Isle of Patmos. There, the scapegoat is banned to a land not inhabited. I don't think there's any animals out there. That poor scapegoat was out there. Nobody ever saw him again. So what's the picture? What did Jesus Christ do with all of the sins of all of his people? He took them behind the back of God. Amen. As far as the east is from the west Amen. to the bottom of the ocean. Did anybody ever see that scapegoat again? No. I don't think they ever even came up on a pile of bones that the scapegoat had. He's gone. Where are the sins of God's elect? Gone. <coughs> now, then he takes that blood in there to the Holy of Holies. Now, I don't know what the temperature is. You, you doctors know, nurses, you know, you study that stuff. Anything that comes out of your body is warm. You know, when they, take, when they take drug tests, you drivers, you know, they take those random tests. They take the temperature of your urine. Because somebody bring in somebody else's urine, it ain't got that temperature. And people would do that, wouldn't they? 
They would fake that, wouldn't they? Try to. But you can't, not with that temperature, because that's telltale on you. And I tell you that the blood comes out. I reckon it comes out at the same temperature you got. What is living temperature? Isn't it about 96 something? 98? Yeah, I don't even know that. But. I believe that when the high priest, when he took that bowl, basin of blood into the Holy of Holies, and he got there to that mercy seat, I believe that blood was hot with life. It wasn't old cold. Now you got a lot of preachers that say he didn't do that. He didn't go to the Holy of Holies in heaven till after he arose. Hogwash. That blood was still hot with the life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And when he got there, Atonement was made. All that was left was the high priest to come back out and put on his royal priestly garments. And three days and three nights later, somebody said, Look! Here comes the fit man. Oh, there's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. 72 hours later. And what's he lead? He lead nothing. He's got nothing in his hands. Where's my sins? They're out there Amen. in a land not inhabited. Amen. But. Now, isn't that wonderful teaching? Isn't that, isn't that marvelous teaching? But now all these people singing or reciting this ridiculous creed. They're saying Jesus went to hell. That he didn't get it all done on, on the cross. Oh, that would take us to 1 Peter. Let's go over there. First Peter chapter two. Look at verse one and one. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin. Didn't say he couldn't, that he did no sin. Amen. Oh, you all say it's in. No, we don't. You need to clean the mud out of your ears and listen to what we're saying. He did no sin. He purposely, consciously did no sin. And in so doing, he defeated sin in the flesh because he overcame sin. 
and neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, Jesus was reviled on the cross as well as off the cross. He saved others, let him save himself. <laughs> and us. <laughs> he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Where did Jesus Christ bear our sins? On the tree. Why is it called it a tree? Where do you think a log comes from? Where do you think a log? Was, this, was it hewn? I don't know. It might have been. It may not have been. I don't know whether it was or not. I don't know what they did. They didn't have sawmills like we've got. Y'all ever seen a uh, broad axe? And a fro? That's what old timers used to square up logs and make cabin and right and make make roofing shingles. That's when you don't have a sawmill. They might have done that, I don't know. But it was a tree. Jehovah's false witnesses try to say it was just a stake. No, it was a cross. Anyway, who his own self bear our sins. Now, you need to get all the parts of that. In his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. They try to take that in Isaiah and make that for heal. That's no, here it is right here. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. Now. That's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Where did Jesus Christ make redemption for our sins? In his own body, on the tree. And did he leave anything out? No. Sure didn't. Go back to Acts 2 now. Verse 22, you men of Israel, this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man Approved of God among you. How was he approved of God among you? With miracles and wonders and signs. There's a purpose of those things. Which God did by him 
in the middle of y'all, in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel, you might say predestination of God, and foreknowledge of God, you all have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, and thought you did a work. Whom God <laughs> hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Now go to Luke 16. Uh, you know the, the account here. It's not a parable. It's a historical event. Space-time and history. Verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died. Yeah, he's an old beggar and he died. Isn't that something? Poor feller and he died. Well, he ain't the only one. And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. My, what a deal there. The rich man also died. <laughs> Didn't say that Lazarus was buried. They probably threw him on the trash heap out there, Gehenna, that fire, that everlasting fire, threw his body out there. And the rich man also died and was buried. That's because he's a rich man. Don't make any difference. Didn't change a thing. Just what what looks like. And he cried and said, and in hell, verse 23, the rich man, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Here's your kicker right here. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence or here to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence or from there. A great gulf fixed and there is no inner travel. But all of these people, Al Moeller, and all of these people that he is now 
with his book. No telling how many Southern Baptists believe this now. He's taught all these people that, but that stinking book, no telling how much money he made off of it. I'm sure he made a fortune off of it. The Catholics and all the other people that do this Apostles' Creed, they all believe that Jesus Christ went into hell. Well, if you did, he's still there. Because it was the Son of Man that went, if he went. Good news, he, they're all lying. He didn't go. He didn't go to hell. What would he do there? He had nothing to do there. He finished it on the cross. <laughs> now I heard a Baptist preacher preaching this one time. And he said that that scapegoat showed that Christ went to hell to finish paying for our sins. And here's how they said it. Because in the Hebrew, that scapegoat's name is Azazel. The hairy one. That's what a goat is. And also these people, many of them now, they teach a second chance. Even the cults teach that. And they've got to have this because then when the Bible says that Jesus preached deliverance to the captives, they say he was preaching to the people that are burning in hell. He wasn't preaching to them at all. There's a great gulf fix. They can't get out of there if they want to. No, there's not a second chance. Nowhere does the Bible teach that. <coughs> so what you need to do is make sure that you're right with the Lord now. But I've got to move on to this next one. Uh, is it pretty good so far? Amen. Okay. I ain't got much of an outline here, but I just got... Now... I don't know about this communion, the communion of saints, but I don't know about the, the communion of saints. Now, we take the Lord's Supper, and it can be called communion, but I don't really like the term much. But the Lord's Supper has nothing to do with fellowship. It is a memorial supper that the individual in a church capacity should memorialize the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was bruised for our iniquities and his blood redeemed us from our sins. Amen. Now, but this other one, the Holy Catholic Church. Now the word Catholic means general or universal. 
And that term did not come into play before Constantine. But why would you say I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? I'm a Baptist. That'd be bad terminology for anybody except the Catholic, wouldn't it? And yet he's got the Southern Baptist Convention reciting that. That would be, now listen to this, I don't have time to get off, but Ephesians 5. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus loved the assembly and gave himself for it. There is a real sense in which Jesus died especially for his kind of church. And tell me there hadn't been bloodshed over it. Oh, yeah. So, these Southern Baptists say they're Protestants. I guess they are. We're not. We're Baptists. They're not. By their own admission, they're not. They came as a result of the Protestant Reformation. That's what they teach. We don't teach it. We believe that Jesus Christ started his kind of assembly, his kind of church, during his public ministry when he was on earth, and that that's the only one that he ever ordained. And that church, that assembly, by its very definition, could be nothing but local and visible and militant. Where did the idea of a universal church come from? Well, the Roman Catholic Church, when it got underway, they say it's earlier, but I believe it's about the end of the 6th century. It was the Roman Empire. Constantine at the head, and the Roman Empire made it, by the time it got to be a law, about 380, somewhere in that vicinity, that the official religion of the Roman Empire changed from paganism to Christianity. And it was Constantine that started it, and it worked out there. Now, the Catholic or the Roman Empire believed that they owned the world. And somewhat they did. Not really, but they did. They controlled a large part of it, up until 476 A.D., which became the fall of the Roman Empire. But that was political Rome. Religious Rome grew by leaps and bounds. And so, if you said the Roman Empire... And the Catholic Church, you were saying the same thing. Because they taught that the church was owned 
by Rome and the Pope. And just as Rome ruled the world, the Roman Catholic empire-wide, universal, visible church, and they make a big, big issue of the universal, visible church. And that's why you can go in any Catholic church in any country, and basically you'll have the same kind of mass. Different language, different people, but basically it will be the same. They say, well, isn't that good? No, it's not. It is absolutely not good. It's heresy. Amen. Now, but then along comes the Protestant Reformation with this, well, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Henry VIII, and the others. They knew they were in trouble because they had withdrawn from the universal visible church. They had to invent another doctrine. They said, well, we were wrong. It wasn't visible. It's invisible. And that's what they're saying. The Protestants say that, the Holy Catholic Church. And it invisible. The Catholics say it's a visible church. But at any rate, it's not the kind of church that Jesus built. Amen. Local, visible, just what you see here. You say, well, that's not big and glorious. No, it's not. I'll agree. It is not big and it's not glorious as far as men go, human beings. But I'll tell you what, as far as the Lord goes, unto him be glory in the church. Amen. By Christ Jesus, unto himself in a world that never ends. The church that Jesus built will not cease to exist in eternity. It will be there throughout all ages. Amen. No, we'll take a huge helping of the apostles' doctrine, but we want nothing to do with the apostles.